You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Today's scripture is going to be from Luke 11, 38 through 40, I'm sorry, 10, 38 through 42. And it reads, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Martha has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Great to be with you all. I got one good morning. Come on, good morning. How's it going, man? All right, good. I appreciate crowd participation. It helps me. If you want a better sermon, you participate. You'll get something a little bit better. Uh, hey, it's great to be with you. My name is Brian Gurney. I'm one of the pastors here. I, I, I generally do worship and some of the leadership stuff behind the scenes. Uh, but today I get to unfold God's word, hopefully, uh, to you. If you are new with us, man, it's a pleasure to be able to see you. I would love to meet you, though. So after service, don't hesitate to come introduce yourself. We'd love uh, the chance to connect. Uh, like Lakita said, uh, you can connect online at connectatnewcity.net. Um, and it really is actually a helpful way to get connected, just get in regular emails, find out more about the church, find out about things that we're doing. It is a bit of a, a time uh, this year where connection and communication primarily happens digitally, and so that's like a, a very convenient way to do that. Uh, with that, let me pray for us, and we'll dive into God's Word. Father, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for your Word. Thank you that, uh, God, you, you use it in our lives really powerfully. Lord, you use your word uh, by the power of your spirit to, to encourage us when we're feeling, we're feeling down, we're feeling alone, anxious, maybe distracted like Martha does in this text. God, you use your, your word to bring us back. Lord, I thank you that this is a living word, that Lord, it, it uh, cuts deeply. Lord, it, it also convicts us. Or in places where our lives don't seem to match up, God, you very gently, very graciously kind of nudge in those areas, impress us into further faithfulness and obedience to you. Jesus, I pray that, that above everything today, uh, you would be the hero. We would walk away from this morning feeling encouraged that Jesus really is Lord. He really is Lord over our lives, and he really has saved us and will one day bring us uh, into his heavenly kingdom. Lord, by your spirit, lead us. And pray this in your name. Amen. Well, Mary and Martha is one of my favorite stories, um, primarily because it's so easy to see myself in the text. I'll let you guess which one I see myself as. Uh, probably the same one that you all see yourselves as. Oftentimes when we read Mary and Martha, uh, we aspire to be like Mary, right? 
I primarily think this text is about this idea of connection, connection with Christ. And as I was trying to think of an illustration that would helpfully articulate this, I tend to go for ridiculous examples, but bear with me. In, in about 2002, I believe it is, uh, there was a very uh, amazing cultural moment that was unfolding before our very eyes, for those of us uh, who were alive in 2002. Uh, Verizon had released a very phenomenal technology called cell service, and they were testing it everywhere. Uh, they were testing it uh, through a guy that we all just called the Can You Hear Me Now guy. I think he has a name. We're not, it's, you know, it's debatable. Um, but he, this guy on commercials would just go to a whole bunch of different places, right? Sort of like nerdy dude with black hair, black rim glasses. And for some reason, he'd be at the top of a skyscraper trying to call his mom and be like, hey, can you hear me now? Or be in a desert, or I found one where he's walking through the swamp. And all the while, we have this wonderful, sweet uh, uh, bass voice narration by James Earl Jones, which is Darth Vader. Uh, Darth Vader's narrating this whole deal, trying to, trying to sell us on some cell service with Verizon. And I think it worked because a lot of y'all have Verizon cell service. But we remember that guy as the can you hear me now guy. He's trying to answer a primary problem, which is that of connection, right? Everybody hates a dropped call. No one likes that. Where it's cutting in and out, where you feel like you don't really have a connection. There's this one spot on the 234 bypass where it, I think it even has a sign that says like, hey, you're going to lose your call. Go ahead and just like quit now. Uh, just let them know you're not angry at them. You're just, you know, it's a drop. It doesn't say all of that on the sign, but you can read between the lines. And so we hate dropped calls because we hate the uncomfortable feeling that it causes in a relationship. Because all of a sudden, it's, it's been cut off, and you're like, wait, should I? We were, we were close to saying bye, but then it just stopped. Should I go ahead and call the person to actually say? We feel the discord that has now been introduced into the relationship. Dropped calls cause anxiety. And it's primarily because we care about connection with other people. Like, we actually care about the thing that the can you hear me now guy is asking. Can you hear me now matters to us. Well, I think this is primarily because we have been created in the image of God. God eternally existed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally within relationship with himself. He was a relational God, and then he created relational beings, male and female, in his image. We're, relation, we're relationally oriented. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, after God creates Adam, he brings all these animals to him, and Adam names them, basically to prove this big point that it's not good for man to be alone. None of these animals are going to do. You need woman. And so he creates woman, and they're joined together. It's because they're made for relationship. They're made for connection. But this doesn't just apply like me to you, right? It's not just relationally with amongst each other. We're, we're built for and designed for connection with God, relationship with God. And what happened after that Genesis 2 moment is Genesis 3, where we sinned and rebelled against God, and the punishment was separation from God. But then Christ comes and he reconciles, reconciles us back into relationship with the Father. He reconnects us to the Lord. And now we can, by faith, or by grace through faith, live in connection with the Lord. And so Luke chapter 10, Mary and Martha, I would say, is primarily about the problem of our connection with Christ. 
And if there is one thing I want you to walk out that door with at the, after I preach, preferably, is the idea that connection with Christ is the Christian life. Connection with Christ is the Christian life. So first, let's talk about Jesus in this story. We'll try to get our handle on the story, and we'll look at Jesus, and then we'll look at Mary, and then we'll look at Martha. So first of all, we got to just do a little bit of setup with Luke's gospel, right? So up until this point, Luke has been primarily, probably to his Gentile audience, trying to communicate the idea that Jesus really is who he says he is, that he really is the Messiah who has come to save you, and you Gentiles are brought in. And so right before this story with Mary and Martha, you got a story like uh, the Good Samaritan, the lawyer questioning Jesus, who really is my neighbor? And Jesus extends it pretty far. You also got right around this, this spot in, Gen, in uh, Luke chapter 10 is a whole deal with Jesus and a bunch of his people who are following him. He sends them out, 72 of them on their little mission trip. They go on like a little two by two and they go into different cities and they're trying to preach the good news. So that happens all within this same chapter. And then you get to the end of it and you got Mary and Martha. And basically how the scene starts out is in verse uh, 38, it says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. So they're just walking, they're doing their deals, disciples, Jesus is leading the way. They show up in this place called Bethany is where Mary and Martha lived. If you're familiar with the story in John 11, they also have a a brother named Lazarus. Well, a woman named Martha welcomes him into her house. Now that's a really important point. That's actually pretty, pretty phenomenal that that's articulated here. That Martha, a woman in first century Jerusalem or that area would then welcome in Jesus and Jesus accept the invitation to then go into her home. You see, at that time, women and kids were kind of cultural outsiders. They were in some ways pushed down, but Jesus breaks through that. John chapter four describes the story of him deciding to go through Samaria, a place that's already a little sketch, He goes there, he meets a woman who's trying to not be seen, getting water at a well, and he enters into conversation with her and then offers her living water. Jesus moves towards the person who is on the outside. This is actually a pretty phenomenal thing. He's staying at her house. The second thing that is pretty phenomenal about this is that he is encouraging Mary to study the scriptures. The text then goes on to say is that Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. He's encouraging her. She's not just like sitting there and just like scrolling on her Instagram. Like she is listening to what Jesus has to say. He's teaching. Think Sermon on the Mount in a house. So he's teaching and Mary is listening to his words And I think this articulates a really important point that we got to know right out of the gate about Jesus in this story is connection with Christ actually starts with him. It starts with him. See, Jesus enters the village and then he enters their house and then he enters into relationship with him. He joyfully moves towards people and he spends time with them. He's present with people. I think a lot of us have a false view of Jesus that he's like this sort of pious monk who just kind of walks around and and sort of exudes holiness. But he's, he's, yeah, he is pious in the sense that he's holy, but he's with people. He's present with people. He goes into Martha's house. He spends time there. 
John 11 is, is even more, more phenomenal. When you, when you read about John 11 and his relationship with Mary and Martha and Lazarus that develops, Jesus initiates with us first. Romans 5 is a really clear example of this. While we were still sinners, Christ demonstrated his love for us. Ephesians chapter one, verses four and five. Even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but Jesus moved towards you. He, by his spirit, regenerated your heart and then so won you over with love that you believed the truth of the gospel and were saved. Jesus initiates He moves towards us. Connection with Christ begins with what he has already done. So that gives us, I think, a bit of a picture of what Jesus is doing in this text. Well, let's take a look at Mary. What's going on with Mary? All right, so as you can imagine, Jesus goes into the village. He gets invited by Martha. He goes into the house. I don't know what that whole situation looked like. It's like, you know, Martha's putting out chairs in a little awkward Christian circle and we all got to get around that and we got to, you know, like clean, clean the house, all that. I have no idea. But they're in the house. That's the situation. And the description that we get of Mary is actually not a ton. She's sitting at his feet and she's listening to his teaching and she's chosen the good portion. So let's talk about each of those three. So first one, she's sitting at the Lord's feet. Uh, I think you can probably infer this is a posture of teachability, Right? It's what disciples would do with their masters. They would want to sit at their feet to learn from them. That's the posture that Mary has. It's incredibly teachable. It's, she wants to receive. She wants to hear. That's where Mary is. It's also interesting that Mary is the one sitting and Martha is the one serving. We'll get into that in a moment. The second thing that we learn is that she listened to his teaching She's listening. The words of Jesus mattered to her to some degree. That you can almost, you can almost kind of hear in this, this moment of Jesus' I don't know, picture, picture a living room. There's a bunch of people in there, probably stuffed in there. And meanwhile, Mary is just sitting right up close, just listening, eyes peeled, wanting to hear every last drop. That's where Mary is. Some of you husbands, I know, know the difference between hearing and listening, amen? Or your wives are gonna say amen. You can hear a thing and really believe that you listened, but then you find out later you did hear, but you did not listen. Mary is listening. She, she hears what's going on. She's sitting at his feet wanting to glean, not just let the words bounce off her ears. She's there to receive from the Lord. The third thing, the third descriptor of Mary that we've got is in verse 42. When Jesus is responding to Martha's little snarky comment, he's referring to Mary. He says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is a really powerful affirmation by Jesus. That he's actually saying, Mary chose the right thing. She chose the right portion. 
So that means that we probably should listen, right? Psalm 73, verse 26, picks up on this word portion. It says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Lamentations chapter 3, 22 through 24 says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This word portion is used like, do you want that portion or that portion? Do you want Christmas dinner? You want yesterday's oatmeal? It's like deciding, I want that. That's the thing that I want. I don't want that. And Mary has chosen the good portion. She figured it out. She's like, that is exactly what I want. Jesus is here in my house. I want to sit at his feet and I want to listen to his teaching. What Jesus has, that's it. That's what I want. I've chosen that portion. What I think this speaks to is that Mary has contented herself in Jesus. She's contented herself in Jesus. And I think it's a, it should be a pattern for us that Mary prioritized connection with Jesus. And I think we should prioritize connection with Jesus as well. It's funny, when we use that word priority, we, we don't usually use it in the singular. We use it in the plural. We say priorities. But the word priority means first thing. So I don't think you can have many first things. I think you can only have one. And what's being communicated right here is that Mary decided what her priority was when it was Christ, connection with Christ specifically. That's the the priority. And I think it should be the priority for us as well. You see, spiritual disciplines like fasting, prayer, reading God's word, silence, solitude, corporate worship, these are not just like add-ons to the Christian life. They are the Christian life. Because if connection with Jesus, relationship with Jesus is what the Christian life is all about, then practicing those spiritual disciplines is how you get connected to Jesus. And so if you're not practicing spiritual disciplines, I have to ask, are you connected to Jesus? Because that's the way that you connect with him. See, I think we have a bit of a false belief or a functional belief that's wrong which is that we believe that the Christian life can basically be lived without Jesus. Like I can basically be a Christian and not actually be connected to Christ. I don't think that's true. I think that true salvation does such a work in you that like you, you want more of him. And I know there are, hear me, there are seasons where it is hard. It's discipline to show up and open your Bible or to prayer or to pray. But I think somewhere in there, the Lord, those, those dry seasons, the Lord is trying to teach you something that maybe you've put a lot of stock in a bunch of stuff that you don't need nearly as much as you need of Jesus. And those dry seasons often produce within us on the other end of it, even more desire for the Lord. Lord knows that 2020 has been a dry season for some of you. Is it possible that the Lord has been trying to teach you that there's a whole bunch of things in your life you don't need as much as Jesus? See, Jesus affirms that sitting at his feet and listening to him is the good portion. I think a lot of us talked up 2020, early on especially, as like, man, this is great, lockdown, I got more time to pray, more time to read the Bible. And then as you reflected over this past year, you think about it and you actually didn't read the Bible a ton. You didn't pray a ton. Why is that? 
There's a host, host of reasons. I'm just, point, I'm just trying to get us to think, are you, are you connected with Christ? Are you in relationship? Are, does your part of your life look like Mary right here? See, I think we can have generally good intentions, but I think at the, the root of it is that being with Jesus is less enticing than something else in our lives. That's the fact of the matter. It's not a priority. Other things are priorities. Can I just, can I just be honest? I'm a little concerned for some of you who sit at the feet of other people more than you sit at Jesus' feet. Or you scroll through social, or you read your news, and you're supposedly sitting at the feet of people who have sat at the feet of Jesus. I'm all for reading books and blogs and growing in uh, your understanding of the Lord through YouTube videos or listening to podcasts or sermons, all that stuff. I think it's all good. I just don't think that should take the place of you with your Bible, spending time with the Lord and prayer. It's a simple discipline. We do not need to complicate this, y'all. And I would imagine, because there's also then lack of connection between us relationally, because we're all, we're all like kind of spread out because of the weirdness of 2020. You got all that on top of lack of connection with Jesus. We got all these other voices pouring in. I mean, I just think that's, that's adding, it's, it's like adding gasoline to a fire. It was already a mess. But then as Christians, we're not diving deeper into his word. We're diving deeper into other people's commentaries and thoughts on maybe, if at best, his word. More likely just stuff. Listen, I don't think social media is the devil. Uh, I just think sometimes Satan uses it as a foothold in your life. And so you gotta be willing to lay it down if need be. If the Lord brings that to your mind, it's like, hey, this might be keeping you from spending time with Christ, connecting with Jesus. Be willing to lay it down because Jesus is Lord. He matters way more than all that stuff. All right, before I preach a different sermon, let let me keep going. Listen, Mary prioritizes her connection with Jesus because she realizes she needs it, so she wants it. She realizes that she needs it, so she wants it. So now, let's move on to the person in the story we probably all relate with a bit more, which is Martha. All right, so we got this whole deal. Jesus goes in the room, he's teaching. Mary's sitting at his feet. That's really good, that's a good portion. And then we got Martha. We actually have a lot of description about Martha a lot of interaction with Martha, which seems to indicate that, hey, probably a big portion of this story, the point of it, is probably centered on something that's going on with Martha. So let's press in a bit of that. First, it shows that she's practicing hospitality, which is really commendable. Jesus goes into the village, and who invites her? Martha does. She's the go-getter. She's type A. She's like, new person, let's welcome them in. Some of you here are exactly like that. As soon as you see an outsider, you, just, you draw them in. It's good. Hospitality is commendable. The second thing it says is that she's serving. She's serving tirelessly. Serving is still needed. We don't have to come to this text and then throw out serving. We can affirm that serving is a good thing. It's a needed thing. The rest of scripture would certainly point to that. I mean, I think about moms in our midst who tirelessly serve in a, in a basically thankless role. It is so infrequent that you as moms feel thanked and you feel gratitude, let alone from your own kids. But serving in that capacity is incredibly important. You're seen by the Lord. Martha wasn't ignored in her serving. It was affirmed. 
Listen, there are some of you who are just leaders in this church who tirelessly serve. Whether you're leading a discipleship group, a missional community, you're serving as a ministry team leader, you're just volunteering, and man, you are pouring yourself out. Serving is a good thing. It is a blessing to everybody involved. But the story takes a bit of a turn towards the shadow side of the gift, right? Martha's a go-getter. She serves. She gets the thing done. But there's a shadow to that. One, it says that she's distracted by much serving. Verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to Jesus to then talk about it. She's distracted. Have you, any of y'all ever served so much or you've poured yourself out in a relationship or you've, you've just tirelessly laid down your life? Maybe it's in, even in your own job. And it just, it just causes distraction. Like you sit down with your Bible and you just cannot even take it in. Like you want to, but you're just distracted because there's something else on your mind. A second description is that she's, Jesus says to her in, in responding to her little comment that she's anxious and troubled about many things. Anxious and troubled. I think there's a bit of a comparison here to Mary. There's a bit of a, see, this is what Mary's doing. This is what Martha's doing. See, Mary is present. She's content. She wants to hear from the Lord. And all of us have been where Martha's at, which is distracted, anxious, troubled. Sounds a lot like our whole past year, right? You've probably been in a moment where you've been like totally over capacity, where you can't focus on anything, but you really do want to offer just the gift of serving people. Like you want to do it. But then you notice that you're irritated by it. You're kind of angry that you have to serve. It feels a little bit more like an inconvenience than a gift. And all of a sudden, you start to have a bit of resentment toward the person that you're even serving. I think what's happening here is, like Martha, an emphasis is being placed on the doing over the being. Doing for Jesus takes the role of being with Jesus. We tend to start thinking that being with Jesus looks like doing for Jesus, but it doesn't. Mary's chosen the right portion. She's with Jesus. See, there's another descriptor of Martha in this story, which is in verse 40, which is when she goes up to Jesus and she says to him, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. How many siblings have said that? Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. It's it's like she's saying, Jesus, look at everything that I'm doing that she isn't doing. Don't you see I'm more righteous than she is? Please confront her, Jesus. Jesus, don't you see I'm more righteous? I'm the one you should be noticing, not her. Jesus, you're celebrating Mary All the while, I've been working hard for you, serving everyone, and she doesn't deserve your attention. Tell her then to help me. If you're familiar with Luke's gospel, this might sound a little bit familiar. Might sound a little bit like, Father, you're celebrating my brother who has done nothing for you, who is now at your feet, All the while, I've been working hard for you. 
And I deserve your attention. See, five chapters later, there's a different set of siblings. You've got this younger brother who goes to his dad and cashes out his trust fund way too early and then pieces out and goes and lives his life doing all kinds of manner of things, just squanders it. And then in legitimate remorse while he's eating with the pigs, broken by it, realizes, man, even the hired hands at my father's house are better. Maybe I just need to go to them. I need to go and I need to apologize and just ask, would you even just make me a hired hand? And the father, as, as, so as the younger brothers goes back to the house, he's walking down the, down the path and the father in the, in the story runs down the path, which is like an undignified thing to do runs down the path to his younger brother, goes to greet him, puts a robe on his shoulders, puts a ring on his finger, demonstrating, nah, you're not gonna be a hired hand. You're, gonna, you're my son. I'm putting you back in the position that you should be in. And then you got this older brother who was actually there the whole time. Watched this whole thing happen. Watched the younger brother run away, you know, said what he said, and then just served. Was off to the side, serving. And he's got a steep, steep response to his dad when he sees all this go down. This is the description in Luke 15. He says, but he was angry and refused to go in, refusing to go to this like party, the celebration of the younger brother coming back. But his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Basically, you never threw a party. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The older brother who is an heir to the inheritance, who stayed when his brother left in disgrace, who tirelessly served the father, is incredibly resentful of the father for not noticing him. So it's a different set of siblings, but a similar point is made. We have access to God by grace through faith, not by our serving, not by our ministry, not by our parenting, not by your vocational accomplishments or your seemingly flawless record of morality. You have access by grace. See, what Martha was primarily missing that led to anxiety, to distraction, to comparison. It was grace. The free gift of God's presence right there in her room, she missed it. 
See, your connection to Christ is not one thing amongst, amongst a bunch of other things. It is the thing. And as you think about your 2021 coming up, can I say, please do not make a whole bunch of goals and then reflect on your spirituality and your relationship with Jesus and just lop it off and forget about it. Make connection with Christ the priority so all the other stuff falls into line under his lordship. You will not lead people to Jesus if you are not sitting there with him yourself. Think back to that prodigal son story, the depiction of the father, that beautiful moment. Listen, are you the older brother watching from the sidelines, resentful of other people? I see a lot of older brother behavior coming from Christians in the church these days because I we seem to all think that we've got a corner on righteousness. See, the word prodigal means wastefully extravagant. The younger brother who runs away is wastefully extravagant with his father's wealth, his inheritance, right? Just squanders it, totally squanders it. The father who is uh, seemingly showing this wasteful showering of grace, right? Like, this younger brother doesn't deserve it. But the father pours out his love towards this younger brother, pours out grace by then placing him back into a seat of honor in the family. It's actually also an accurate term for the older brother as well, who was wasteful in his access to the father. And it's also true enough of Mary, who is wastefully extravagant of her time, she just sat at Jesus' feet. Listen, connection with Christ, the good portion, is not made possible by your self-righteousness. It's made possible by grace. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter three uh, lists off all the accomplishments, all the reasons why, man, this, this dude, he's got it all together. And then he says this about it. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ that all of those accomplishments is nothing. It's, it's a loss in comparison to knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, basically being a Mary and proving your worth, it's not good enough. Throw it out. It's a loss in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus, the Lord. He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The grace that you've been given, one of the many gifts that you are given in that, that divine exchange is that you're given Christ's righteousness. That's way better than your feeble attempts at righteousness. Way better than my broken attempts at righteousness. You're given the righteousness of Christ and you're seated with him in the heavenlies all because of what Christ did. See, curiously, Martha is the one who welcomed Jesus into her house. But as Romans 15 says, it's actually Christ who has welcomed us into his house. And you didn't cross that threshold because you look good on the outside. 
See, we were separated from God because we sinned against the God who made us. It wasn't just because Adam and Eve took some fruit off of a tree. No, it was a heart disposition towards God that essentially was saying, I can be God instead. And since we were made to be in connection with God, we've been trying to play God and work our way back into that garden. But God, like the good father that he is, loved us enough that he wouldn't let our guilt go unpunished. In fact, he loved us so deeply that he placed our guilt, our breaking of his law, onto his own son, Jesus And Jesus, after living a perfectly righteous life on our behalf, then took the punishment that we all deserved, death by crucifixion. But he didn't stay in the grave and you don't have to either. See, when he rose from the grave, it showed that death can't contain him. Sin has no power over him. And by trusting in his ability to offer you salvation and not your own, you can be given true freedom, true joy, true contentment, true satisfaction. You won't have to work for your approval any longer. You'll have it in Christ. You won't have to work for your connection with Jesus because you'll have him at all times through his Holy Spirit living inside of you. Listen, every week when we celebrate communion, we are remembering a a, a truth about connection with Christ, that because of Jesus' death on the cross, his body broken, his blood shed, offering us forgiveness, and then by faith, us by faith believing that truth, we are then reconciled to God. We are brought back into connection with the Lord. That's why it's called communion. We are brought back into fellowship. Communion is a meal to remember that, man, it was, I did nothing to earn this. I did nothing to be brought back to God. I didn't contribute a little bit. Not at all. It was solely Christ's record, solely Christ's death and resurrection, and our belief in that. In the words of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As you take communion, I invite you to reflect on the freedom that you've been given in Christ, that you have connection with the God of the universe. And he is, he is inviting you to sit at his feet If he made you, certainly he has something to say to you now. He's inviting you to connect with him. And so I pray that as you take communion, it would be a time to maybe lay down at at his feet just a confession of sin, of our lack of connection with him, that we would want to choose anything other than him. And then take that bread and that cup And believe the truth that it is by Christ's finished work on the cross that you are given connection. It's by grace you have been saved. For those of you who are here who would not say that you are Christians, you would not say that I follow Jesus as my Lord, I want to just politely ask you not to participate in communion this morning. 
The reason being is that communion for us doesn't, it doesn't necessarily do anything because it's representative. It's representative of what we believe in the gospel. It points to the gospel. It's a moment for us as Christians to remember what we believe. If you would not say that's something you would believe, I just ask you to refrain from participating in communion, but rather take Christ. Take the real thing. Believe in Christ. Romans points us to the fact that if we would confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that God rose him, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All of your sinfulness, all of your unrighteousness placed on Jesus, that separation, that lack of connection that you had apart from Christ, it's no longer thrown out. You're brought back into fellowship with God. Would you take Christ this morning. For the rest of you all here, we just take communion as the Lord uh, leads you this morning and, we'll, and then stand and worship as, as, as you're ready. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your grace, for your gospel. Lord, we thank you that you would be so good to us. Father, so frequently I think of that passage in Romans 5. It's, it's just such a beautiful articulation of the gospel. That God, you demonstrated your love for us, your love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Jesus, you died for us. We didn't have it all together. We hadn't figured it out. We hadn't served our way into your kingdom. We hadn't ministered perfectly enough. Jesus, it was in that moment where you died. Lord, what a display of love. Jesus, that you would lay down your life for us. God, I pray right now that you would stir our affections. Lord, I pray that your word would be sweet to us. I think of Psalm 34. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't know there's necessarily a connection, but that your word is considered the bread of life. Lord, we need to take in your word. Lord, I want to taste it. I want to, I want to know it that clearly, that closely. God, I'm tired of all the other voices. Lord, I want to hear yours. Lord, would you fill us with passion to come near to you? Lord, I really believe that the church moves forward on its knees. And I think for a lot of us here, you've brought us to a moment of desperation, a moment where all kind of thought of control has been taken away. And Lord, we're sort of laid bare before you. Lord, we're acknowledging that we can't make it all work. We can't fix all the problems in the world. We can't even fix the problems in our own lives. But Jesus, I believe that you are powerful. That you transform people. You, tr you are renewing this world. God, we look forward to the heavenly kingdom. We lift our eyes and fix them on Jesus. And Lord, we eagerly await your return. God, we pray that this time of worship and communion, Lord, will be devoted to you, that Lord, you would place on our minds this grace that you've offered to us.
praise you and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.